Father, we know that you place Jesus above all before every name. We know that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. There's no rival. There's no equal. And God, I know that we look around our world today and we see so many things that are seeming to be messed up. So, many, so much conflict and so much evil and so much uh, wars, rumors of wars. There are so many things. And God, we just have to know and thank you that we can know that there's no rival, there's no equal, that in the name of Jesus, all power is given to us. And I just pray that you give us confidence in that. And that even though we see disturbing signs around us, we'll know that, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that God is sovereign over all things. And we ought not fear that we should focus on you, the living God. And I just pray today, Lord, that you would, in our own personal lives as well, help us to focus and re, refocus on Jesus Christ. The fact that you are the answer to everything. You fill our needs. You, you're the one that understands us. And I just pray, Lord, that you'll build that confidence in us today. We just pray today, Lord, as, as you speak to us through your word, that you would anoint Pastor Josh in a brand new way. Thank you, God, for sending Josh and Emily. We just pray, God, that you would work your miraculous work through them. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Back around the first of the year, when we started to, to think that perhaps there was going to be a transition in staff, I, we started praying. And uh, we started praying that God would send the right person, the right couple, to take Pastor Damien and Bailey's place. When someone's been here a long time, it's, it's not easy to just come in and do that. So, so we began to pray. And I received some resumes one day. And uh, at the very top, I put this, this man named Joshua Henderson. And... As I prayed about that and we began to have conversations on the phone and we went through evaluations, et cetera, um, we never looked at anybody else. God spoke to me when I saw his resume and God said, here's the man. Here's the one. Now, you don't know that for sure until you go through the process because they might say no, you know, so whatever. But uh, so we went through the process prayerfully. And so the first thing I did is I sent... I sent Josh an email, and I said, we're interested in having a conversation about that. I didn't hear, and I didn't hear, and I thought, well, I guess he doesn't want to come to Wisconsin. He's from Michigan, so you know how that goes. And uh, two weeks later, I get a reply, and he said, I, I, I'm sorry I didn't reply to you. Uh, we were on vacation, and he said, I, I grew up in a pastor's home, and a lot of times we went on vacation, and we didn't really take vacation because dad was always doing ministry. And so he said, I don't look at my email or answer phone on vacation. I said, wow. Confirmation number one. Puts his family first. Awesome. That was the first. So we began the conversation. And uh, as we went through the process, it was evident that God was calling them here. The initial response, it was interesting because Josh said, well, you know, we really kind of wanted to be in Michigan. You know, I liked, I liked the Detroit Lions and, and 
Detroit Tigers, and you know, when you grow up with that. But he likes the Kentucky Wildcat basketball. I don't know how that goes, but you can ask him about that. But so, so we began the conversation, and uh, and uh, brought us to where we are today. Just for some background, uh, Josh and Emily both grew up in Michigan, and uh, they've been married for eight years. They have three children: Eden, Jude, and Esther. Um, both of them went to school. Uh, and graduated from Indiana Wesleyan uh, with their degrees in psychology. After they graduated, they worked in the uh, foster care uh, ministry in two different foster care ministries in Muskegon, Mission, Michigan for three years. Uh, so they worked out in some very difficult, challenging environments. And then God said, I think, I think you're called to full-time ministry. So uh, he went uh, down to Asbury Seminary and graduated with his degree in uh, his Master of Divinity, preparing for ministry. Upon graduation, even though he grew up as a, in the Wesleyan Church, the doors didn't open in the Wesleyan Church, but the United Methodist wanted him. And so he pastored for three years. Uh, pastor Josh and Emily, Emily pastored with lead pastors of two churches in rural Michigan, central Michigan. And, uh, and they felt like God was leading them back to the Wesleyan denomination in Michigan. And, uh, and God had a different plan because it was Wisconsin. And so as we went through that process, uh, we're just fortunate to have them. They have three children. We had them over for dinner on Friday night with delightful children. Um, uh, Eden, who's six. Um, Jude, who's three, four, three. And then uh, two is uh, Esther. And uh, great kids. And so... I would like us to, um, now after the service, we're going to have a reception so you can meet them personally, but I'd like us to stand up and give a warm welcome to Pastor Josh Henderson. I said to my daughter this morning, um, Daddy's going to preach today, are you excited? And she said, only if it's not long. <laughs> so just for Eden, I'll, I'll try to make this short, but we'll see. Uh, turn with me, if you will, to, uh, to Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Luke 15, 11 through 32. This is actually a, a passage when we visited back in May that, that sort of came to mind and uh, when, when I was talking with, with so many people about uh, where this church wants to go in outreach, this is just one of those passages that came to mind and been praying over it for a while. So Luke 15, 11 through 32. And he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls on me. So he divided his wealth between them, and not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods of the swine that, were, that, they, that the swine were eating, and no one was giving anything to him. 
But when he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. I will get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father said to him, or excuse me, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a rein on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf, kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of, yours come, son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you have always been with me, and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live. He was lost and has been found. If you would, pray with me. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your teachings, Lord Jesus. And what we pray is that in this time of, of listening to your word and hearing your voice, we pray that it would be you who speaks in all that is said and done here. Amen. I, I think this is a, a hard passage to really get to understand, and, and here's why. If, if you look at Luke chapter 15, uh, these are what's called uh, the lost parables. Not because we've lost them, but because the parables are about lost things that are found. And if you go back to the beginning of Luke chapter 15, Jesus talks about a lost sheep. And, and he says, who among you, if you lose one sheep out of 99, would not go, go and find that lost sheep and rejoice when you found it? And then he says, or, or what woman among you, if you had coins and lost one of the coins, if you found the coin, would not celebrate and be excited that, that you found it and would call all your neighbors to celebrate? That's, that's what the kingdom of heaven is like. But I think this passage is a little more difficult because we're not talking about animals, and we're not talking about finances, we're talking about people. Not just people, in, in this third parable that Jesus gives, we're talking about family. How much more difficult can it get? And when Jesus starts to talk in this parable, he immediately sets up that this is a small family, this is a family that's dependent on one another, and immediately within the first two verses, there is a disruption to the family. 
Now, I, I don't know about any of you, but I only have one sibling, and she's an older sibling. And so within our household, we have a set of parents, and I have an older sister, and I'm the younger brother. So immediately, I know that if something happens within our four-member household, somebody's going to find out about it quickly. And if something happens within our household, there's only going to be one of two kids to blame. And, and I say that even now, even though we're both full-grown adults, there's still those moments of, who's in charge of this? And, and so I'll sometimes push that onto my sister, or sometimes she'll push that onto me. But when you get within these small families, you find that there is a close bond that's among the siblings, that's among the parents and the kids. And so when Jesus gives this parable and he talks about an older brother and a younger brother, an older son and a younger son, and that the younger son, the first thing that's said is, Father, I want my half of the inheritance. The first thing you should feel when you listen to Jesus' story is pain. Because that's what's going on just in these first two verses. This younger sibling who, by law, doesn't really have a right to anything in the household except a portion of the inheritance, he's telling his father, Father, give me your portion now or my portion now as if you had died. Immediately, the feeling you should, should be feeling here is being upset. You should be angry. You should not like the little brother of this story. And so Jesus, excellent storyteller. He's hitting it right there. You should not like the little brother of this story. And so uh, the father grants his wish. He divides his wealth among the two brothers. He gives the wealth, his portion, to the youngest son, and the son goes off. And Jesus says he goes off to a distant country and he squanders or wastes away the inheritance that he got. So not only does this guy tell his dad, I don't want you to be alive anymore. I want to live as if though you were dead. Give me my portion now so I can leave. Not only does he say that to his father, he takes the money that his father gives him and then wastes it away. And, and that word waste is, is, there's no thought to it. He doesn't think through, he doesn't even sit back and, and say, okay, I've got this much money, it'll last me this many months, okay, I can waste away this much at a time. No, what you get is immediately he wastes it away. And within just a few verses, you should be feeling anger, and now you should be feeling like this boy has gotten what he deserves. Because the next verse is that this younger son is feeding the swine. Now keep in mind, Jesus' listeners here are Jewish. And, and Jesus is an excellent storyteller. He wants to gross you out. That's really what he's aiming for here. The first part, you should be, you should be angry. And then the second part, you should be disgusted. Because as he hires himself out to somebody else, he's having to feed pigs. For the Jewish people, pigs are, are one of those animals you don't touch, you don't get near, you don't eat, and yet he has found himself in the lowest possible living that you could find yourself in. And he's found himself there, and he's so hungry, he's so destitute, he longs to eat what the pigs eat. Right there, Jesus' Jewish listeners should be applauding. 
Right there, for the Jewish listeners, this is a perfect ending to the story because it's a reminder that if you ever disobey God, if you ever break the relationship that you have with the Father, you will pay, you will be disciplined. So for his Jewish listeners, this is a great story. They're ready to get up and leave, but Jesus continues with the story because he talks about how the, the younger son is repentant. It says he comes to his senses. He realizes the pain that he caused his father. He realizes with the situation that he's in that something can be done about it and he can turn again to his father. Remember, Jesus is setting up this difficult scenario of family. He's setting up this difficult scenario with a small family, with a son that has pushed away his father, and Jesus is now going back to the father as the solution for the younger son's problems. It says the younger son begins to realize, wait a minute, I don't have to be my father's son. I can be his servant. I can go back to my father's house, I can ask to be hired, and I've seen how he treats his servants. He treats his servants well. They eat well, they live well. If I can live the rest of my life as a servant to my father who feeds me bread, I won't have to live with pigs, and I won't have to eat the food of pigs. And so it says he, he comes up with, okay, how will I apologize to my father? And so he's truthful. He plans to say to his father, I am not worthy to be called your son. I am not worthy to live in your household. Please treat me as a slave. Treat me as a servant. Hire me in. Pay me whatever. It's better than the life that I've chosen to live. And so as he returns, Jesus says, his father sees him from a distance and he runs to embrace him. Says that he sees the boy from a distance and he runs, he embraces him. His son begins to confess his sin to his father and, and he begins to tell him, I'm not worthy to be called your son, but before he can get the whole line out, his father interrupts him and, and it's kind of like, yeah, I know, you messed up, That's, oh, everything's fine now. And he calls the servants and not only does he welcome them back and remember what he was before, little brother. He was little brother, he was second, he got the second portion of the inheritance. The larger portion would have gone to his older brother. But now, look at how the father treats him. He lifts him up. And he says, go and get a robe, get a ring, put it on his finger as if though he has authority in this household. He doesn't have shoes, go get him shoes. Put, put shoes on his feet so that his feet aren't hurt. Now he begins to dress up his youngest son as if though he's a guest of, of honor. He brings him back into the household, not just as a little son or a little brother to the household, he brings him back into the household as if he is in a place of honor. And joy is overflowing from the father's heart because he sees his son come back to him. When we worked in foster care, we had a household that uh, had two uh, teenage daughters. Now, I remember I've got an older sister, so I can say this. Two teenage daughters, but foster kids. That foster mom had a difficult time with those two girls. 
And there was one day we got a phone call that the girls had, had ran away from home. And so we had to go through the, the process of calling the police, reporting the kids missing, going and meeting with the foster mom and making sure that everything in the household is as she says it is so that when the kids return, we can pack things up. And so we started to get into this process of we have to look for the lost kids. When we get them, we have to find a new home for them to go to because nine times out of 10, when a foster kid runs away, the foster parent doesn't want them back. They don't want to deal with kids that are going to run away and get in trouble. And so we were all set to prepare for these two girls to forever be out of this household. And we got a call at about 2 or 3 in the morning from the foster mom. And here's what happened. The two girls ran away, and at some point, the oldest girl decided she wanted nothing to do with the youngest foster daughter, and so left her. So now we've got two foster kids alone not with one another, off in the city. And this foster mom got a call at about one in the morning, and it was the foster daughter. She was crying on the phone, and she said, I've made a mistake. (laughs) Yeah, you did. (laughs) She said, I shouldn't have ran away, but she left me, and I'm all alone. Can I come back and live with you? And the foster mom said, "Of, of course you can. And you just pause right there and you think, this girl was a teenager in foster care. She knows the system. She knows that the chances of her coming back into this home are slim to none. And yet she calls her mom back with the hope. If I confess, if if I just ask, maybe she'll let me stay with her. And the foster mom was telling me this story. She said, she, she told the girl, well, of course you can come back to live with me. That's fine. Where are you at? And the girl said, I'm right outside your door. And she said, what are you doing outside? Get in. And she brought her back in, and we worked things out for her to continue to live there. And of course, when I heard that story, I said, I'm going to be a pastor someday. Can I use that? She said, absolutely. But that's the kind of love that, that Jesus is wanting his listeners to feel about the father and the youngest son. So you remember the emotions. Jesus is a good storyteller. You should be drawn into this. Here's a son. You should feel anger because he pushes his father away. And then you should be feeling joy when he's punished. And yet Jesus doesn't stop the story there. Notice where he goes. He brings the boy back and you begin to realize when Jesus tells this story that there is a joy that God has When someone who is lost in sin comes back into a relationship with God, sometimes to come into a relationship with God for the first time, there is an overwhelming joy that God has when one person comes to know him. And so now, what should you be feeling in this story? Well, now there should be a standing ovation That was a perfect story, Jesus. You had me with the swine. You had me when he was ready to eat the pig's food. I thought it was going to end there, but then you turned it around, and now it's about about receiving uh, us back into a relationship with God. But remember, Jesus is a good storyteller because there's more to the story, isn't there? You see, we've only talked about the youngest son and and his sin in the household. 
But remember, Jesus said there's two boys in the household. And so Jesus continues with his story. And he says, the oldest son was out working in the field when all of this was occurring. And he sees a celebration going on, and so he calls a servant over and he says, what, what's going on? Why, why is there a fattened calf being killed? Why did you go and get the robes? What's happening? And the servant reports to him, what's happened? Your brother, he's come. He's come back to the household. And so your father is celebrating his return. This angers the older brother. The older brother is angry because he sees what we as the audience have seen. He sees what that younger brother has done. He knows that his younger brother has wasted away his money. He knows that he was left for dead. But that older brother is still in a place of anger for how the father was treated. Notice what the father does. He comes out to talk to him. Now at this point in the story, you should be rooting for the father. And so now when, when you see the eldest son, the one who's supposed to take over the household, the one that is supposed to take care of all the possessions of the family when the father dies, you should now be angry at the eldest son. And you should think, okay, good, the father's coming out and he is going to chastise the eldest son. And he's going to put that eldest son in his place. But notice what the father has done. The father doesn't come out to discipline or to chastise or to put that older brother in his place. He comes out and he pleads with him. He, he wants his oldest son to know what kind of joy he has in his heart. Notice the words that the father uses twice. Your brother was dead. Now here's what's interesting about that word dead. Do you know what it means? Dead. There, there's, no, there's no bones about it. I thought I was going to get into this big word study where it actually meant something else or it was used in a different phrase. This is the same word that's used every other time in the New Testament for death. Which means when the father saw his boy leave, he knew in his heart that that boy was dead. And to cap it all off, he says lost which means good as dead. So the father's words to his servants and to his eldest son is that this boy has died. I was living my life as if though he were dead and gone and I would never see his body. This boy was lost in such a way that the search party would be called off. This boy was lost in such a way that there was no hope for his return into my household. And so now you should be feeling a sense of what the father has gone through and the depth of love that he has for his youngest boy. And now what he says to his eldest boy is similar. Everything I have is yours. Now we're getting to see where the father is at. His love is so broad. His love is so deep that his eldest boy, he's complaining that his father has never given him a goat to celebrate with his friends. The father's reminding him, you didn't have to ask. 
You are just as equal in this household. You could have taken a goat on your own and you could have celebrated with your friends and I would have approved. You have authority, you have honor in this household. But he says, I had to do this for your brother because at one point he was dead and now he is alive. At one point he was as good as dead and we weren't going to find the body and now he has come back into our house. A while back when I was studying for this passage, I was talking with a, a friend, a brother in Christ about it, and he asked a really good question that, that, that I had never considered about this. Why did the older brother not go and look for the younger brother? Why, why if he had all of the authority that the head of household would have, if he's responsible for all of his siblings, much like the, the oldest brother would, would be, why did he not go out and search for his younger brother and even go out and search for his younger brother and discipline him or go out and correct him and bring him back to the truth or go out and persuade him to come and be a part of the family again? The problem with the oldest brother is he didn't care. The problem with the oldest brother is when he saw his younger brother go off and waste away his inheritance, he didn't care what would happen. And so we see the heart of Jesus in this passage. Notice who Jesus is talking to. Remember the context that we're in here. Jesus is speaking to sinners and tax collectors, as the Bible refers. He's speaking to his disciples. But he's also speaking to the Pharisees and the scribes, those religious leaders who, who consider themselves the oldest brothers of God's household. They consider themselves the law keepers. They consider themselves the ones who had earned righteousness within God's house. And when Jesus gets to the second half of the passage, he's looking right at them. And he's pointing out that if you're in a relationship with God, it is your responsibility to go and search for those who are not in a relationship with God. If you are in a relationship, you are now at a point where you're like the oldest brother in the household. And you are now called to go out and look for people who are not a part of the household to let them know that they can come in, that they can be a part of the family of God. But here's what I find more than anything. We don't know how. I usually find that's the biggest barrier to Christians going and leading others into the church, into the family of God, in a relationship with Jesus, is we sit back and we don't know what to do next. So the first thing we can do, if we have that heart of God that the Father has for those who are lost, if we have a heart for those who are not in a relationship with the Father, the first thing we can do, of course, is pray. Pray without ceasing for the people that you know 
who are not in a relationship with God. And I would suggest start with the person that you like the least. If you have a list of all the people that you love and you're going through and you list them all out, chances are you're putting the person you like the most at the top. So what I would suggest is write that list out and start at the bottom of the list because the biggest barrier that the brother had to not finding his little brother was that he didn't care. Now, I've only been three weeks in this church. I don't know you guys well enough. So I'm not saying this about Eau Claire Wesleyan Church or anyone here, but I do find that sometimes there are some Christians that have such an bitter relationship with somebody that there's almost a sense that they don't want them to come to a relationship with God. Or they say they do, but they don't know how to react when they hear that that person has come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. I would suggest if you're battling with that in your heart, if, you're, if there's anybody that's in your heart that you're just not sure where you're at with them, be praying for them. Be praying first for them that God would get a hold of their heart, that God would use you to lead them into his family. The second is see people in terms of life and death, not reward and punishment. So again, when we look at this passage, only about five or six verses in is when Jesus' listeners would have been applauding him, saying that was a great story. He got what he deserved. But that's because Jesus' listeners were still working with this understanding that a relationship with God was about a reward that could be earned and not about an issue of life and death. But as we get in this parable, Jesus is telling us that God is viewing those in a relationship with him and those outside of a relationship with him in terms of life and death. That if somebody is not a follower of Jesus, they're as good as dead. They are living a life that is dead. And so if we begin to see the relationship that people have with God in terms of life and death, I think we begin to see how important it is to share our faith with one another. Now, now maybe if you're concerned about what people might think, if you witness to them or share your relationship, I know in, in this time, it can be awkward to share that you're a Christian, especially with, with how the news portrays Christians but if you're nervous about that and you realize this isn't an issue of my comfort, this is an issue of life or death, it's amazing how that emboldens you. It's amazing how that actually gets you to realize, wait a second, why am I worried about what people think about me? I'm worried about what God thinks of that guy right there. I better share my faith with him. View the relationship with God in terms of life and death. Seek the Father's heart in everything that you do. Pray to God and ask him to reveal to you how he's viewing other people in your life. Long, long to have a heart that is like God's. Long to have a heart that wants to see all of those who are lost come into a relationship with the Lord and pray without ceasing on this matter. Pray that God would continue to reveal to you people in your life that need him. And then finally, remember that at one point, you were dead. 
at one point, you were lost, you were as good as dead, and you had no hope of returning. But it was God who awakened your senses and you realized, I can return to my Father's house. When you remember just how destitute you were in sin and the immense forgiveness that God gave to you in your heart, you begin to realize the joy of the Father that he wants to extend to everyone in this world. So pray for those, all of those around you, that God would use you to reach them. See people in terms of life and death. See their relationship with God in terms of life and death. Seek the Father's heart in everything that you do and remember the salvation that God gave you and how he wants to give that salvation to others who are lost. If you would, bow your heads with me and let's go to God in prayer. God, we thank you for everything that you have given us and we thank you for this passage. Father, what we're most thankful for is that you called us back into your household. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that you've called us back to be in a relationship with you and to follow you each and every day. So now, Lord, we pray that as we leave this place, you would show us people that need that same relationship, that need that same awakening. And we pray, God, that would, you would use us in mighty ways, not so that we are glorified, not so that any attention is on us, but so that you are glorified, so that those who are dead would be alive again, so that those who are lost would be found. Lord Jesus, use us in marvelous ways for your kingdom, that we would hear rejoicing when those who don't know you come into a relationship. Amen.